Hello, welcome to the Tech UK podcast. My name is Catherine Holden, Associate Director for Data Analytics, Artificial Intelligence and Digital Identity at Tech UK. Today I'm interviewing Kieran Ardiome, VP for UK Islands Emerging Markets for BlackBerry Cybersecurity. During the course of our discussions, we'll touch on how AI can be part of the solution when it comes to combating cyber attacks, the importance of AI regulation and what to anticipate when it comes to AI in 2024. Thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Kieran, and I hope you do too. Hi, Kieran. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Tech UK podcast. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Great to uh, great to be here. And um, maybe just to kick things off, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your role at BlackBerry currently? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Kieran Holloway, and I'm the uh, Vice President for Cybersecurity here in the UK. Um, my responsibilities are um, everything uh, customer related in terms of our portfolio uh, and our go-to-market to, to uh, in the UK, uh, Ireland, um, Middle East, Africa and uh, the Nordics. I've been at BlackBerry nearly three years now and ultimately what we deliver is cybersecurity solutions to uh, customers to help them protect their environments. I've been in uh, IT for um, longer than I care to think, but over <laughs> 20 years. Um, various uh, roles, uh, both from a from a in a in a channel perspective and and in technology vendors. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a it's a fantastic uh, IT is a fantastic place to be. Um, anyone thinking about a career should really really think about um, coming into IT. And, and there's a, a diversity of um, or there's a whole diverse set of uh, jobs and uh, things they can go and do in it. Exciting. And maybe if I could, you know, unpack some of your knowledge and expertise in some of those areas you just mentioned. Um, mm. how is how is BlackBerry seeing threat actors use AI to attack organizations? I'll answer a couple of questions that maybe um people are thinking, BlackBerry, what? Um mm. so yes, we're still going, uh, Catherine. Uh, we uh, we're, we're we're a massive organization. Most people will know us from the days of uh, the, the the our phones, uh our beloved phones that most people had. We pivoted away from phones. We haven't made a phone since 2015, and we've gone into cybersecurity. Um and uh, our uh, our remit now is purely uh, cybersecurity software and services. So when we talk about cybersecurity, it's in that context. Um, and um, I think you know there's been a there's been a great deal of um, uh, media attention, quite rightly, about um, AI of late. Um, you know, for good reason. And I think AI will have a tremendous impact on on the future. Um, it's especially true in, in defensive cybersecurity where we play, um, where we already see AI being used um, in a, in a, an adversary perspective. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're already seeing the impacts of cybersecurity on, on people's ability to defend themselves. Um, we, uh, through our acquisition of silence, have been um, in the AI space for over a decade now. Um, and um, we've got some pretty good models for solving those different problems in the cybersecurity world. I think uh, from a threat actor perspective, I think we're in a, we're kind of in the in the midst of a an inflection point really um, that has profound uh, profound effects across not only technology, security, and humanity as a whole, but I think um, the ability to access um, uh, AI, um, you know, the democratization of it, if you will, um, over the past uh, few years, you know, before it's been the the remit or of uh, those with significant financial human resources being able to access AI. 
with the with the new models and tool links out there, um, it's uh, it's really lowered the barrier to entry for everybody. And what that means for cybersecurity is that um, you know we're seeing AI being used to engineer you know better and faster phishing and social engineering attacks. And with the advent of things like polymorphic malware, um, which is going to be a nightmare uh, with the with the AI velocity um that it brings it you know will sweep past the eyes of you know sock monitoring tools and actually payloads faster and wider than we've ever seen before so i think we're exiting the phase of, of if you get attacked uh, and we're we're um really entering an a phase of you know when will the attack uh when will the attacking end so that's what we're seeing. Malicious use of AI is is really going to force the need for automation, I think, um, and predictive AI that can stay ahead of, of, of the evolving threats um, because, you know, AI is really driving a new wave of cyber threats at a, a ferocious speed and scale that we've probably not seen before. Absolutely. And out of interest, do you find that there's a difference in the type of AI used in, in attack mode versus the AI used in defense mode? Yeah, at a kind of kind of at a maturity level more than anything else. As I kind of mentioned, we've um, um, we have been in the market uh, AI space for over a decade, and so we have a, a maturity to our defensive capabilities that may not be there from a from a um, offensive capability. Um, certainly, from you know your 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 threat actors out there, um, but. Um, I think it, it's a it's only time a matter of time before uh, threat actors really get really sophisticated with their AI capabilities um, and um, are re really going to make impact. Um, when it comes to um, the threat defence, um, um, you know, and I think it's really important that people understand what AI is. Um, uh, I think that's part of the part of the education piece that we need to do is as uh, tech uh, tech companies and um uh, as four individuals is to really kind of give them what the view is but when it comes to threat defense um the difference we see is you know from us there are two two general categories really one is the predictive ai models that we rely on to um, stop current threats and then then anticipate the zero day stuff and stop them before they happen and those predictive models Work really on really early on in the kill chain, um, uh, and and make high confidence decisions around malicious activity and proactively uh, protect organisations from threats. But those predictive models aren't, you know, the chatbots that we see. Um, they are, you know, um, they are just, you know, effectively models that um, say yes or no. We've also got the the generative AI piece, uh, from from our perspective, that that do interact with people, um, and I think this is the, the more interesting piece. Um, as we go into a world that's going to be driven by AI, um, from a um, from an ability to to react at speed, um, the generative AI piece uh, and the, those models are really going to be more more important for organisations. And the goal of really of, of, of you know generative AI is to speed up people's understanding of a, a situation awareness or knowledge, um, so they can make better and informed decisions. Um, and um, but I think you you kind of need both predictive and generative AI mo models together, uh, and they play a really powerful and important role in in cybersecurity. 
I think if you, you've got to have both, um, you've got to have excellence in both predictive AI and generative AI um, to give your organisations and your practitioners a, a real fighting chance as we enter a world of AI, um, um, you know, offensive and defensive capabilities. And I'd love to get into a bit more detail in a minute, Kieran, in terms of how how that tech works in, in, in reality, like the, the practicalities of, of how, how that technology is being used in cybersecurity defence. But maybe just before we get on to that, um, it's incredibly clear that actually, um, you know, this is going to be a huge challenge for companies and it's only going to grow in, in terms of its significance. What can organisations do in order to protect themselves? Every organisation we we engage with and speak to uh, is at a different level of maturity from a security posture perspective. Um, I think the first thing organisations need to do to protect themselves is understand where they are in that in that sort of journey, if you like. Um, the the ability for an organisation to respond to an attack um, is is you know is certainly more effective if you know that that's a that's a risk vector that you've got. So understanding your environment, understanding your organisation, um, and the and the, the processes and technology in place, so that you can um, put those put put measures in place to help protect yourself. Um, thirdly, I would say that, you know, for me, people, process and technology, you know, make sure that we have, um, you know, those those employee um, or organization education programs where we're bringing the um, the employees or, or members of staff with you so that you, you know, you can upskill their knowledge of cybersecurity. I think that's really important. Um, a lot of attacks we see are um, I don't think anyone has acted necessarily maliciously. They've just clicked on something they shouldn't have done, and, and that's caused an issue. So, making sure that we've got education for uh, for our teams and for our folks in place is really important. So, we've got to look at the the, the people in our environment. We've got to look at the technology and the stack and where we are from a maturity perspective, uh, and then from a process perspective. Um, you know, inevitably, at some point, you will get attacked. Um, how do you respond to that? And how do you deal with that? Um, and what's the plan? Um, that's just as important, um, if not more important. How do you get people back being productive? How do you get people um, back into, uh, uh, you know, being able to generate whatever it, whatever asset you have as an organisation to, 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 you know, generate um, income? So I think it's really important that you have that people process and technology understood. Um, from there, you can then make decisions, and some of those aren't technology decisions. Some of those might be process or people decisions. Um, but until you've done that analysis, um, you, you 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 don't know. For those that make a uh, that do the analysis and they kind of get a get a statement as to where they are, or uh, uh, you know, line in the sand. This is where we're at. Um, then put an improvement process in place so that we, you know, we we look at people, process, and technology, and we move um, we move up the stack. You know, give yourself a number. If you're currently at two, how do you get to three? How do you get to four? How do you get to five, etc. That's really, really important that um, we continue to improve, and um, it's ever more so important um, that um that you do that in the world of ai because um rapidly running out of time um whereby um you have the, you have the ability and the, and the luxury of time to be able to do those assessments very interesting and i guess when it comes to the education piece this is something that has to be iterative and done over time as well it's not a kind of point in time solution people will constantly need to be keeping up with the latest threats and, and that education piece i, I imagine 
is a is a long term strategy rather than just a short term one. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, um, my personal view um, is we start earlier. We should start a lot earlier. Um, and, and I know we do some great work. I know NCSC uh, have done some fantastic work in this space around, you know, uh, how we do education in, in schools and colleges and universities and things. But I think as, as uh, you know, the mix of the workforce generation changes, um, we we have some of the, you know, the most tech savvy um uh, all the most tech savvy generation coming through into the workforce how is the way that they use technology going to impact the way that you you do your uh, technology in, in an organization that may be uh, operating in a different way what i mean by that is the sort of the consumerization if you like of um, of the user experience uh, within organizations to attract um, that that technically enabled generation coming in that creates some challenges because you know um, as a as a user you perhaps expect and uh, expected look different look and feel to things um, is it locked down you know are, are there capabilities missing because there's security threats all that sort of stuff so I think as part of a, an education program it's very much bringing the, that generation through as well so that they understand that you know clicking on things or, or sharing of information or uh, whatever it may be presents a risk to the organization and and i think the earlier we do that in 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 schools and colleges etc the, the better and that has a a wider effect of upskilling not just those individuals in their personal lives uh, or organizations but as a nation you know it really does um, start to increase our awareness of the impact of cyber security as a, as a country as an organization and as an individual Brilliant. I think a really clear call to action there. So, so thank you for that. Um, I'd like to maybe just now uh, step back for a moment and get into the technology itself. Um, obviously, we'll have quite a generalist audience listening to this, but so 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 very much in sort of layman's terms. Could you help sort of describe to us how um, AI works in cybersecurity defence, and is there kind of a ramp up time as it begins to learn? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, to your last point, um, I think. Um, you know you can't just turn on an ai model and it's and it's and it's brilliant i think it it you know it takes it takes time to um learn um and become iterative when it becomes a predictive ai they're they're, they're um a, a sort of three mastery or three pillars that you need to master in order to succeed the first one what we really look at is being aggressive with the design parameters um so from the beginning um and and kind of be aggressive from the beginning and only um accept um and uh, an ai model capable of making really high confidence decisions um what i mean by that is um stopping the bad stuff um without hampering productivity with a whole bunch of false positives and you know bog down computer systems because you've got heavy cpu usage all that sort of stuff it's essential that these decisions you know be made lightning fast um with, with without affecting any performance um and even if there's no internet connection the, the models must be able to make those determine uh, those determinations um but that's really expensive you know because it's um it's actually really quite challenging so being accurate fast and lightweight at the same time is actually quite challenging so um but it's an area where we've invested heavily in over the past decade and um um yeah i think it's important second the second pillar for us is um you kind of need to understand how adversaries work on a global uh, on a global scale um uh, consuming threat intelligence uh, from others um, just isn't enough 
Um, and this is all about training a model, right? So uh, if you're just consuming the same threat intelligence that everyone else has got, then you know the model is is going to be you know, missing a whole bunch of stuff. So true expertise in this in this in this modeling comes from the ability to create original insights um, that are industry, I'd say, and 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 geographically specific. Um, that gives a that gives the 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 model a chance to be you know really um, uh, really up to date. Um, you know the threat landscape is 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 a moving target and it's continuous real time visibility that's essential to inform and measure uh, an AI defensive capability. Our third kind of attribute, really, or third, third pillar of, of of that we need to master that we look at is. Um, a model's success should not be determined by how much data or how many attributes it has been trained on. It's kind of um, kind of irrelevant in some ways. Um, there is a there is a, a kind of adage that the more you throw at something, the better it is. That that probably isn't isn't the reality when we move into AI. Um, it's about providing the right variation in the training set, so so the AI um, doesn't overfit by you know. A condition where it can stop um, what it's or what it's already only seen um, without the ability to defend anything new. So there, there's a few pillars there, um, and then that kind of takes us into, you know, what are the differences between um, between AI? Um, you know, we just talked about um, generative AI and, um, uh, and and predictive AI. What what are the differences between those two? That's how we train our models, um, and what that gives us is the ability over a period of time to 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 really learn and silence i i learns from data um and it's um it's kind of akin to uh, a human learning experience i'd say so by presenting our models with numerous instances of diverse cyber attacks um whether it be you know propagation methods or coding structures targeted systems geographical or indus industry what it's able to do is identify shared features in those uh, in those attacks um and then come up with some patterns so a comparable um analogy really is identified and shared features in I don't know fruit for example you know the roundness of apples or the color in oranges um, you know once the model itself the AI model itself grasps the patterns it can you know anticipate zero day um, cyber threats based on recognized patterns i.e um, you know if, if it looks like an orange it's round like an orange it tastes like an orange it smells like an orange it's probably an orange and that, that kind of dumbs down the the mathematical effort that goes into our models and my, my team will probably hate me for it but it but it in essence that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify patterns so um, similarly in, in machine learning we categorize and structure the characteristics of various cyber threats um, that facilitate that comprehension and classification so um, I, I think it's it's a hugely complex model, hugely complex um, piece of work that the team do, and you know we're a pioneer and we've we've developed this over ten years, and um, very pleased that we have you know um, you know an inventive team with more intellectual property in in machine learning than any other vendor in the market today. So. Um, it's a key element why we have such a highly productive outcomes. We are expecting the imminent publication of government's response to the AI white paper in the next few weeks yeah. or months. Um, would love to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, how do we go about regulating this technology? 
what what do we need how how you know from your perspective from blackberry's perspective how, how do we tackle this what are we regulating in the first instance what is ai you know can you know can we get a, a definition of what that is what that looks like um and um, and why we want to regulate it do we need to regulate it um, and can we get global consensus, which I think is critical uh, on regulation, so that um, so that we have a global view on um, uh, on how how we're going to you know manage AI going forward? It's a really tough question because um, I think AI for good, um, which is kind of what we do uh, at BlackBerry Silence, is we have an AI model and we have an AI um, platform that really is there to to protect organizations from the various cyber attacks and various different things you know what we don't want to do is is create a regulatory environment whereby our in innovative um, ability to you know create new models and go to market and help protect people is stifled um um and the you know nefarious the the, the threat actors uh, who by the way will ignore the regulation um uh, have free reign because they're not they're 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 able to you know do stuff uh, without regulation. So I guess my point is is making sure that should should we regulate um, uh, that from a cybersecurity perspective we're we're not um, giving the threat actors an advantage by you know tying um, people like BlackBerry up in organisations like BlackBerry up in red tape. Um, stifling innovation when we know um, uh, the threat actors will will ignore the regulation anyway. Um, you know, let's not forget that um, there is already laws and regulations about you know um, the use of computers and computer misuse act, all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, that's regulation, um, and uh, the reason that um, you know cybersecurity vendors like BlackBerry are in um, are in business is because people ignore those anyway. So the problem we have with AI is it's moving at such a pace that um, regulation has to be, if it does come in, has to be flexible enough to, to keep up um, with, with probably more versions and iterations than maybe we're used to, um, uh, to keep up with the developments as and when they happen. Um, but I, it's a... It's a big question. It's um, I, I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of thinking going into um, how do we regulate. Um, I, I kind of want to see what the, the government has to say from a UK perspective, um, and then you know we'll be able to make a determining um, or determinations from there what, what impact that may or may not have on organisations such as BlackBerry. You mentioned, of course, they're uh, bad actors, and mm. I was recently reading. Uh, a report published by government that identified ransomware as the number one cyber cyber threat to the nation uh, in the UK. Uh, and given its ability to bring the country to a standstill, what what is your perspective on this? And you know what can be done by say the government and individual organisations to to raise their defences? When we look at cyber uh, security as a whole, I think you know most organisations it's probably number number two or three on the board agenda. It's certainly a, a big topic within government. Um, I think if you look at the um, there was a there was a review of the UK labour market done last year, and I think about 50% had a basic skills gap uh, in organisations um, uh, in terms of cyber security, and um, about 33% had you know an advanced skills gap, um, and and a lot of them had no um, a lot of organisations didn't have, really have a plan in how how they were going to respond to an incident or recover from it. So I think um, 
it is it is an ever-present threat um, to the country. The government is not immune to that. Um, you know, NCSC does a does a great job for uh, for organisations, but we still see, you know, big um, organisations impacted by you know ransomware and um, other other forms of attack. So, it is a big problem. Um, I and we kind of touched on education. I think I think you know we need to do uh, a bit more in terms of um, uh, educating our, our 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 team members and our and our and our you know children at school in order to you know upskill the workforce effectively so that they come into um, uh, work and we're protected uh, so we're not clicking on links and we're not sharing information and we're not doing silly things. Um, I think we need to do that. Um, I also think the government needs to um, look at uh, different ways of doing things. Um, you know, we've had a sort of a standard um, way of deploying, you know, endpoint protection for, for many years. Um, we've done it for many years, but, you know, with the advent of AI, those legacy technologies, um, uh, that legacy debt effect, or technology debt, um, is, it really needs to, you know, investment needs to go into that to, to, to get it to a level where it can cope with the, the advent of the AI threat. Um, because we, we see many organisations that still have not, you know, made uh, enough or made significant investment to 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 get their um, to get their organisations to a point where they could defend themselves against a, a credible AI um, attack. So I think, you know, again another another big question: um, how do we protect government and, and individual organisations? I think. Um, you know, let's start with education. Let's make sure everyone has a has an understanding what cybersecurity is. Let's do those assessments of our uh, of our organisations, our people, processes, and technology. Um, but I also think, um, you know, if if we can bring the country to a standstill, what's the plan? Uh, I always I always like to have a plan in my head. So, what's the plan? So if if it did happen, what's the plan? You know, have have we got a plan? Have we done a uh, you know, a, a fire drill whereby you know we we um, we you know take a city down for an hour and see what happens. I'm not suggesting we do that, by the way. <laughs> but but my point is, what is the plan? Should it happen? You know, have we got enough um, instant response um, capability to go and uh, uh, help an organisation or a government department or a city um, recover from from an attack? Um, because inevitably it will happen you know it, this is this is um this is not a case of when but if i think um mm. so so what is what is the responsive capabilities that that governments individual organizations councils police forces ambulance services whatever it is um you know specifically around critical national infrastructure what is the responses and and how often are we testing those i think that's that's really important because the inevitability is um you know it's it's going to happen i think we only have to look at um, you know dark side um, which which hit the colonial pipeline in the US a couple of years ago you know um, that that was a major major incident um, you know and how did they respond to it it took them took them a very long time to to, to recover from that incident uh, and the responses um, you know could maybe maybe could have been better so what what's the plan should something happen you know plan for something happening and and what's your response and, and you touched on it as part of your answer right at the end. I think it's absolutely about sort of anticipating what could happen, but also learning lessons from from you know examples of of big data breaches that, that have yeah. happened and where things have gone wrong as well. Um, 
and and I would love to talk. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say that's really interesting because that's part of the learning in AI models, right? So, um, yeah, we have uh, you know one of the longest running um, predictive AI, AI models in the market, and you know we often ask ourselves, you know, how do we know if our predictive AI can actually predict? Um, is the model that we have learning, um, and is it is it going to be good at anticipating future attacks? Um, you know, what 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 can we do differently? You know, is, and you know, it, more importantly, can it self defend itself? So we assess our our AI um, um, uh, capabilities um, with a with a real level of in, internal scrutiny beyond what I've seen in other places. Um, with metrics that we developed ourselves. Um, now that might be like us marking our own homework, but it really does work. But um, we call uh, we call it a TPA. So RIN IT. So everyone loves a three-letter acronym, but it's um, Temporal Predictive Advantage. Um, and what it does, it gives us a in simple simple terms, it gives us the ability to fast forward um, into the future to see if we were able to prevent a zero-day attack. So. Whenever we uh, get a new zero-day attack and it emerges, we we get that um, we get that um, we get that zero-day, throw it against our old models and see if we could have prevented um, the uh, the attack from executing. Um, and you know this confirms you know whether the feature and selection diversity of how we're training our model um, is is working or not. And it really is the litmus test of how we can anticipate new threats. Um, now we, you know, people talk about hours and days um, in order to be able to protect themselves against a, um, a, a, you know, new threats, zero-day threats. We talk about months and years, and you know, I touched earlier on the Colonial Pipeline attack in 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 the US. Um, if the, we the, the 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 sort of the analysis we did on that is that um, if they'd have had the the silence endpoint protection in place, they would have been protected against it. But not only that, if they'd um, get my numbers right. If they'd not updated the device for for you know nearly five years, they would still have been protected um, because we were able, we trained our AI model uh, with the characteristics that we've talked about, with the patterns we talked about to say if it looks like an orange, smells like an orange, tastes like an orange, has the colour of an orange, it's going to be an orange. I.e., it's zero attack, zero day attack. So you know, being preventing um, stuff happening in the future is is kind of what we're about as well. Um, what I would say is also we're not we're not suggesting people don't patch or update their systems for a period of five years. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to keep doing that. Absolutely, and I'd love to draw in another example here, which is um, I know last year we you know, a number of us heard a lot about this Move It breach, which led to you know um, a number of fairly large British brands suffering wide-scale data breaches. Uh, for those that maybe didn't hear about that breach, could you tell us a bit more about exactly what happened there? But also, I guess, what does that mean for the importance of protecting our supply chain? Yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's a, a move, move IT was a, was, was a big story um, last year, if not uh, kind of the year before as well. And I think it's really, it, it highlights the, Whilst individual organisations can do a fantastic job of protecting themselves, um, they, there is a supply chain of whether it be external suppliers that have, you know, connectivity into your environment. It could be um, applications that have um, connectivity. It could be a host host of various different things. 
um, the, the importance of making sure that your supply chain in whatever whatever instance it is um, is conforming to your security protocols and security posture as well is really important. So when when we talk about um, making sure that you know uh, soft um, security by design within software, for example, you know what does that actually mean, and and are your suppliers that you're um, that you're using uh, really building that into the um, into the technology that they're either selling to you or connecting into your environments, um, and and I think you know we what we see is um, you know some of these um, move IT for example, it, you know it was we they were using you know third party as a as a um, as a vector into organisations using it as a hop and a skip if you like into organisations and you know it's really the onus is on. Um, uh, organizations to make sure that they're doing their due diligence with their suppliers and with their software software vendors and with their managed service suppliers and whoever else it may be uh, to to make sure that they're doing their due diligence on their supply chain. Really important. I think as that one is going to become um, more and more um, difficult as um, as as AI and the complexities that that brings and the speed that that brings um, uh, is going to be more and more difficult to to, to manage going forward. So it sounds like lots of lessons learned from that particular data breach there. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I also think it kind of opened uh, people's eyes a little bit. Um, okay, we, you know, we we've kind of secured ourselves. We thought we thought we had. Um, what we got to do now is really look at um, uh, making sure that our supply chain um, are doing the same thing, um, and we've got the same you know, sort of controls and the same ability to be able to react and defend ourselves uh, through um, and with our supply chain together. Excellent. Now, Kieran, we are at the start of a new year. It's 2024. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts as maybe this is our sort of final question on what's on your radar for the year ahead? What are you kind of most excited about that could take place this year? Yeah, I, I get the reason I get out of bed every morning is, um, is is I enjoy the interactions we have with our customers um, and helping them solve their challenges. And I know probably a lot of people say that, but it, but I, I think what um, the cybersecurity industry does is incredibly important, not just to the organisations we 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 serve and our customers. But to, to to nations as well, and that, that I'm not understating that. I think you know we talked about government saying that you know cybersecurity is the number one threat to the nation. Well, yeah, I mean I'm I get up every morning and I do um, look at uh, my daily reports and go, well, okay, this is this is we are making a difference. So as I look out for the rest of this year, it's making sure that we we continue to evolve our. Um, our AI models and, our, and service our customers uh, and protect them uh, from from the threats that are out there. Um, but I'm also looking forward to um, developments in the AI space. You know what that brings. Um, I think AI is it can be used in for for good um, as a whole. Uh, um, um, and I think we you know I'm in, I'm really keen and uh, and excited about what that can bring us as a uh, as as an organisation, but also as a as as a as a as a people, if you like, because um, you know the, there there are some there are some models out there at the moment that are really interesting around you know medical advancements and things like that. So it's going to be a really really interesting couple of years, um, you know. Uh, but for me, 
um, AI is is really um, I think it's just starting to starting to get going. Um, we've a lot of talk about it in the past couple of years. Um, we've been doing it for ten years. Um, I think there's more exciting advancements uh, to come very soon. Absolutely. Well, it's yeah, definitely looking like a busy, busy time ahead. Um, but very much looking for, looking forward to everything that that comes with that. Huge opportunities, and it sounds like. BlackBerry is absolutely going to be at the forefront of those conversations and the implementation of these solutions. So I think, um, Kieran, I think that's all we have time for today. But I just wanted to finish by saying a huge thank you for your time and sharing your expertise. And I, I really look forward to seeing what BlackBerry does in this space uh, in the near future. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much for listening to TechUK's podcast today. To find out more about TechUK's work on AI, please visit the AI program page on the TechUK website. Or feel free to contact me directly at katherine.holden at techuk.org. Many thanks.